Daily Drive is brought to you by eBay Motors. Auto dealers, are you missing the most engaged buyers because you don't know where to find them? At eBay Motors, you'll find buyers so motivated, they purchase a car or truck once every three minutes. Just call 866-210-5362 and mention code AUTONEWS to get 50% off your first two months. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Daily Drive. I'm Steve Smith with Automotive News. It's Friday, March 5th. How people choose to move from one place to another and how they choose to use their personal vehicles continues to shift. And according to Daniel Weissman, Chief Innovation Officer at Motion Insurance, the implications for the insurance industry require a massive transformation in how companies in that sector serve their customers. He says gone are the days where, for many people, a traditional six-month policy can effectively serve their needs and deliver the sense of security that is supposed to come from having insurance. Ride-sharing, car-hailing, the surge at at at-home delivery of groceries and meals, even growth in short-term rental of personally-owned vehicles all have implications on consumers' coverage, many times leading to real-life situations where people are being charged too much for their policies or, worse yet, don't have enough coverage depending on how the vehicle is being used when an accident happens. Weissman says the future of insurance is dynamic, serving consumers' needs based on how they are using their vehicles in this specific moment, all informed by the exponential growth and availability capturing how, where, and when they move. What else is transforming the automotive insurance industry? What are the implications for insurance companies, mobility service providers, lenders and captive finance companies, even dealers F&I operations? We've reached Motion Insurance Chief Innovation Officer Daniel Weissman at his home office outside of St. Louis, Missouri. Daniel, thanks very much for joining me today on Daily Drive. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. Thank you very much. How are you doing? I'm doing wonderful. Thanks for taking some time out of your schedule. We have a important topic for today's conversation, and that is what's going on in the insurance industry. So why don't we dive in with that question? Ride hailing, car sharing, other shared mobility services. How are these new ways that people are choosing to get from one place to another disrupting the automotive insurance industry? That's a great question, Steve. And really what it comes down to is the shifting landscape of risk itself. So when you introduce new uses, new drivers, new risk factors, uh, vehicles that are sometimes commercial, sometimes personal, those kind of fly in the face of traditional commercial-only policies or personal-only policies where nothing would change and you have a six-month policy and it kind of is what it is. And when insurers don't know how to quantify that risk, they get super conservative, which is why companies like Uber and Lyft set up their own reinsurance entities to eat those risks on kind of the ride-sharing side. But on the personal side, you see TNC-specific insurance coverages, and you see a lot of personal lines coverage companies just not want to address that risk altogether. So it's kind of created a bit of a wild west in terms of nobody's sure entirely what's going on and to a certain extent anything goes. 
So you mentioned a couple of big ride-hailing companies. Automakers certainly have a, a important stake in this game. They're captive finance organizations. Traditional insurance companies uh, certainly have uh, some trends, some disruptions that they need to respond to. When you look at these different companies that are being impacted by these disruptions, in your view, how are they responding? Uh, they're responding to a large extent how you would expect them to respond but the hard part is when you have all this momentum behind you, it becomes a little difficult to change your trajectory. Uh, Uber and Lyft setting up their own reinsurance entities, that was really smart because they weren't getting the pricing towards the actual risk. At the same time, though, they're still very much dependent on traditional insurance companies and have kind of hobbled together almost piecemeal, uh, state by state almost, the boots on the ground and actual insurance infrastructure to handle the departments of insurance, et cetera. And on the insurance side of the house, uh, it, it's very hard to go from, you know, rate changes where you're doing it every six months to a year, but you're still relying on data that is anywhere from five to seven years old to uh, kind of trying to get ahead of that and have a very agile process with regards to how you input your data, turn those into insights and adjust your underwriting. And and so there's a lot of progress and a lot of change. It's very exciting to see all of that, and it's still a very big challenge. So in the world that you live in, what you're trying to do with motion, how are you and your team addressing some of those challenges or maybe these new areas of opportunity as you know the state of the insurance industry continues to change? Yeah, so I'd say step number one is we need to get closer to the proximate cause and contextual awareness. I'll give you an example. IIHS recently came out with uh, automatic rear braking being the standout safety feature, and it has been shown to reduce property damage liability claims by 28% fewer in terms of frequency and 10% fewer collision claims, which is absolutely huge. And then you know, on a separate note, we know that approximately 20% of all accidents happen in the parking lot. And you wonder, you know, that safety feature is that primarily in parking lots, for example. And what if you don't necessarily use the parking lots as much because you have more home delivery or you're working with, um, you know, in writing, for example, and you're not staying in those parking lots or backing up out of those parking lots. So creating that contextual awareness around the data is for us the name of the game. And that gives out the insights necessary to be extremely nimble from an underwriting perspective. Let's go turn back maybe a little bit now to traditional retailing, automotive retailing, specifically the dealership and in the dealer lot. I'm a consumer. I've picked my vehicle. I'm moving into financing and insurance. I'm the FNI manager. How are these changes in insurance and FNI changing automotive retailing? And maybe specifically, how is it changing the conversations that are happening or need to happen within a dealership's FNI office? Yeah, it's interesting because uh, dealerships and OEMs have a very codependent relationship. And I don't mean that in like a, a technical sense, right? I'm not saying that's dysfunctional at all, but 
the dealerships rely on the OEMs, the OEMs rely on the dealers, and the F&I office is an important revenue driver at the dealership level. And at the same time, OEMs are trying to satisfy more of their revenue. So working out that relationship is uh, an interesting part of the equation. But eventually, insurance should be completely seamless. We should know when you trade in your vehicle and automatically drop that vehicle from your policy and that you're driving off of the lot with a new vehicle and automatically add that to your policy. And that should be kind of a baseline customer expectation in terms of user experience. And I think we're definitely going to get there. And there is revenue on the table when that kind of process is kind of auto-managed. And you can take a lot of the existing revenue structure, but you know exactly how it's going to be divided between OEM and dealership is, is an interesting question. And that's probably going to... Um, very dealership to dealership and OEM to OEM. So let's let's spend some time as the policyholder, if you will. And this notion that you mentioned earlier that we are headed towards a future that is perhaps more customized, more flexible than the standard six-month policy that many of us have today. If you're a driver in the ride-hailing business, you're using your personal car for, for not only your personal needs, but for a, a ride-sharing, car-hailing type of service, what do you need to consider when it comes to your insurance? You really need to look at the gaps as a driver. You know, there's a commercial policy while you're driving on behalf of the TNC, whether it's Uber, Lyft, or DoorDash, or whatever it is. And then you have your personal policy when you're driving for personal use. And there are some gaps in the space in between that should be addressed. Um, New York requires a special TNC coverage policy, for example, to address those concerns. Not every state requires it. And that's the first thing I would recommend is I would have you look at your policy, make sure you know what's covered versus not covered, and then maybe get an additional coverage to cover those gaps. Ultimately, though, I I think we're in an interesting scenario where personal policies are effectively covering, you're paying for for risk that you may not really have because they're going to look at your overall mileage and a lot of those mileage, you're already covered on another policy. So you might be double billed in that sense. And, And there's, I think, opportunities to step in and kind of change the game we're not quite there yet, but but I think there is a tremendous opportunity and that the ultimate winners are going to be the drivers themselves. We'll be right back with more of my conversation with Motion Insurance Chief Innovation Officer Daniel Weissman. The most motivated car buyers aren't knocking on your door anymore. They're online, but you don't have to look far. You can find them at eBay Motors. Our platform features over 7 million engaged users. Our buyers are so engaged, they enter over 3 billion search impressions per month and buy a car or truck every three minutes. Today's car buyer has high expectations when they browse online. eBay Motors helps you meet those expectations. Use machine learning with our AI-driven vehicle pages, and you'll automatically optimize your buyer's experience. It's as easy as listing your inventory and watching as the most engaged buyers find you. 
If you've ever uploaded your automotive inventory to a website, you have more than enough skills to get your cars listed on eBay Motors. It will feel like you're setting up an entirely new car dealership within minutes. Once you list your available inventory, you'll have additional support from the platform, including a single destination page for your entire brand. Want to generate more sales automatically? eBay Motors lets you choose between auction, classified, and fixed-price listing options so the site does the heavy lifting. It even integrates with your existing dealer or vehicle management system. All you have to do is list your inventory, sit back, relax, watch a movie, and then check back in to see the sales you've made. How do you start? It's as simple as creating an account. Call 866-210-5362 and mention the code AUTONEWS to get 50% off your first two months. Find out why selling cars has never been this easy. That number again, 866-210-5362. So what about if you're just a regular consumer, right? You don't, your 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 vehicle, you're insured for your vehicle. It's completely personal use. You know, me personally, I, I tend to get on some of these neat little scooters and zip around the city if I need to get somewhere very quickly. Am I covered? I don't know. If I'm a consumer and I'm not only you know driving the vehicle and ensuring the vehicle that I use as a daily driver, but also maybe considering and use these other more micro mobility shared solutions, are there things that I need to consider in my own personal insurance policy? Yeah, there are, and uh, and you should definitely look into those preferably probably with maybe an insurance agent and look it over. We're getting better at kind of these different layers and variabilities of risk. You know, there's the scooter itself. There's the liability portion. Um, Certainly you should have health insurance, right? If something happens to you individually, uh, it, it is complicated and it's more complicated than it probably should be for consumers. And bridging those um, those use cases is going to become more and more and more important as people's lifestyles become that much more flexible. Absolutely, absolutely. And and it's interesting, I, I think, to me, right? We're talking about transportation here, but ultimately, if you're an insurance company, and whether you're a startup, whether you're an emerging player, whether you're a traditional player. Right. The no, in terms of ensuring individuals' transportation, we are on the verge of disruption here, and there are there is a need to, I believe, perhaps be a little bit uh, more flexible, as we've talked about. You know, when you look at the future and you look at where this in- industry is going five years from now, through you know, uh, ten years from now. What are you watching? What is exciting you the most? And what do you think are some of the challenges that are on the horizon that wherever you play in the insurance uh, ecosystem that, that you're going to have to you're going to have to address? Yeah, so, number one, these safety technologies are going to be huge. If automatic rear brake braking reduces property damage claims by 28 percent and overall collision by 10 percent in terms of uh, frequency maybe not magnitude. Uh, that's huge for an insurance policy kind of bottom line. You add in forward collision, uh, lane keeping, blind spot detection, uh, and as cars get smarter and smarter and the technology gets cheaper and cheaper, we're going to see a cumulative profound impact on uh, overall claims. And that should translate into 
substantially cheaper policies, but that'll vary greatly insurance company to insurance company and how quickly they can integrate these new technologies into their underwriting models. So I'd say that's number one. That's really, really going to shake things up. Number two, I'd say we really have to get away from the traditional six-month policy. That's harder than it sounds, right? Uh, The departments of insurance, they're used to a six-month policy. It takes a bit of convincing. They're worried about kind of on-demand insurance and the possibilities of potential fraud with an on-demand model. You know, you turn it on right away, then you say, I got into an accident, but the accident really happened like 10 minutes ago. That sort of stuff really scares them. It's that kind of a, a conversation that needs to happen. Also, the idea that you have this head of household that is in charge of a policy for, you know, significant others and, you know, younger drivers, et cetera. That's not really how we live so much anymore. I know a lot of couples who have, for example, split finances and they want to carve up their insurance costs individually. And the teenager who's on the policy who goes off to university, well, that person has to get a whole new policy when they leave the house. Well, why is that? Why can't each individual kind of have a policy that is together, but is all individually managed so that when you go off, it's not new policies, just a rate adjustment effectively for your piece. And then mom and dad can continue to pay for that if they so choose, or they can hand it off to you at any time and make it your responsibility. Those sorts of things kind of pave the way for the rapid changing of risk and use that we are seeing in the mobility space. So we have an architecture problem that has to be solved first. It's why we built our policy administration system, for example, from the ground up, so that we can be acceptable at the regulatory level. And that kind of paves the way for getting to these really interesting gray zone pieces between commercial and personal that really represent the future of mobility. So let's talk a little bit about what you just you just talked about in terms of how you and your company are changing the game in a way, right? You're taking a different approach, maybe better said. Talk to us a little bit how you're approaching that that process and how you, what you're doing is different than perhaps traditional players and maybe some of the things that you mentioned are scaring them now that you are are tackling head on. Yeah, so it really comes down to two things in my mind. I say number one is building that flexible architecture, which can be abstracted to all these various different models, commercial, personal, everything in between. Uh, For example, let's say you have a very nice car and very uh, high personal liability coverage, et cetera. You have assets that you want to protect, and then you rent out your vehicle on Turo. Fantastic. Well, while your vehicle is rented out on Turo, you have different contract options with Turo, and they provide a commercial insurance policy, and the risk profile totally changes. You don't really need the liability portion because you're not driving that vehicle anymore, at least the liability portion on that vehicle while you're driving that vehicle. And if that's your only car, that should be it. Well, now you're effectively being double billed because you're paying for insurance through the cut of the revenue on the Turo side and on the personal side. So our architecture allows us to have 
a dynamic endorsement. We can use a timestamp, and if Turo were to give us the data for when the vehicle is not in your possession, we can reduce the coverages to minimums plus some kind of gap sort of coverage for that interim. And then when the vehicle is returned, we can restore the coverages to that higher level. And we've done the analysis on this and, and the savings can be very, very profound for you while your vehicle's rented out. And that's kind of the easiest use case kind of bottom of the barrel. Why aren't we doing it today? It's because we're in two states geographically and for it to make sense to even approach Turo, we need to have a much larger footprint. The name of the game for 2021 is to increase that footprint as aggressively as possible. But that's step number one. Have that flexible architecture that you can't do with the traditional policy administration system that allows you to carve up risks into scenarios where it fits better. That's step number one. And then step number two is traditional underwriting uh, is, it works off of the laws of very large averages. You know, age and gender is a combined table with most filings. And that's because women overall are typically safer from a risk perspective than men, but there, you know, is an age range where women are a little riskier than men. And you can't just have a gender factor and the age factor. You have to put it together. But age and gender are data proxies. What is the actual proximate cause of that risk? And can we remove that layer of abstraction and rely less and less on the laws of very large averages? And that becomes extremely important when we want to get into carving up these risks much more intelligently, especially, you know, in the mobility space and then, you know, the gray zone between commercial and personal. And uh, that requires looking at data in a completely new way, utilizing data that nobody else is utilizing and, and to start leaning off on telematics and other things, sensor data, et cetera. So it boils down to insurance as flexible as, how flexible consumers are these days in terms of getting one place to another. Fair? Yes. Ideally, you want to be even more flexible. You want the architecture to, to handle things you can't even think of. But yes, we have to get where the consumer is at minimum, and we are definitely behind the eight ball as an industry right now. Daniel, thank you so much for joining me today on Daily Drive. Terrific insights and congratulations to you and your team uh, for helping change the game, as they say, in the insurance industry. Appreciate your time. Thank you, Steve. It's always a pleasure. That's Daily Drive for Friday, March 5th. For breaking news, go to autonews.com. And to catch up on all of our episodes of Daily Drive, go to autonews.com forward slash Daily Drive. Thanks for listening and enjoy the weekend. We'll be back on Monday.